I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You gotta open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? That's right, we are back. And we've got Matt Breen on the telephone. Matty. Hello. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up? Hey, Matt. Uh, Matt's buying a fence. Mike. So, so explain to us about this fence. <laughs> We're not buying a fence yet. We're getting a fence estimate. We got a guy coming today and a guy coming tomorrow. So whoever has the best deal will win the bid and then I get to put up my new fence. Oh, and then maybe I'll talk about it on the podcast again. So that should drive the price down, too. Hashtag fence talk. I would like to see you on the other side of the negotiating table. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a great negotiator. That's why I'm marrying a great negotiator. Is she a great negotiator? She must. I mean, she must not be a great one if she ended up with you. Oh, yeah, that's boom. true. That's probably the worst deal she ever made. Right? Wow. Everything else she's pretty smart about. Did I even introduce the show? This no, you is did not. not another Philly sports talk show. I am Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined by Mike Sealski. And we keep getting bumped down the totem pole here, Matt Breen. We are on our third different studio now. This is incredible. Eventually, we're just going to be doing the podcast from the corner of 8th and Market, like near the hot dog I actually think stand. I saw a guy doing a podcast on the corner of 8th and Market when I was on my way in here. He was just where like, are you guys at right now? We're back in the video studio, where we no longer do video. Oh, wow. The video studio. Which is now the podcast studio. Uh, I suppose so. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, actually, the sound the sound quality is a lot better than yeah I would have thought. I thought yeah. there was going to be a lot of echo in here. We can see the football uh, that Zach Berman and Jeff McLean used to do the house ads uh, for their Eagles <coughs> coverage, um, and this is where Les Bowen and I used to do um, uh, the broad view. And uh, so is very, that what they call it? That, that's what they used to call it. They don't call it that anymore because it don't exist. Um, Who so, had better house ads, you guys? You two and Bob Ford or Zach and Jeff holding the football? I was going to say, I didn't think it could get worse than ours until I saw Zach and Jeff's. Yeah, yeah. Was, they, they, they were approximating that, that scene you see played out um, in football and baseball analyst studios all the time where the ex-athletes dressed in suits always end up like acting out a play like you end up with like Billy Ripken pretending to slide in the third base or how I, you know, you said, I thought you said ex-athletes <laughs> or uh you know uh Marshall Falk you know pretending to run through the line of scrimmage even though he's wearing wing, wingtip shoes um and it know. looks bad when ex-athletes do it yeah not to mention us <laughs> anyway let's talk about some real athletes Matt Breen I'm gonna give you a sneak peek behind the curtain in my laptop that is in my bag right now Midway through is the next award-winning column on Vince Velasquez. Here's a question for you. Do you think, climb inside my mind a little bit, do you think I think he should be in the bullpen or continue starting? Good luck on that climb. I think you, you think he should continue starting. You're right, man. It's like the, I, think you're a smart, I think you're a smart guy, Chief. Yep. See? What do you think, Matt, or, uh, Mike Sielski? Uh, I'm... They have nothing to lose by continuing to run him out there and see if he can become a more effective starting pitcher. I think it would be panic at this point to say a 24-year-old with that kind of stuff cannot get it sorted out. Um, so therefore, we're just going to put him in the bullpen and you know try to turn him into the latest you know the the, the reincarnation of Brett Myers. Keep running him out there and see what he does. See if he straightens himself out. We are talking about Vince Velasquez, the 25-year-old right-handed pitcher for your Philadelphia Phillies, who. 
just gave up another home run to the New York Mets. Um, look at that sound effects. Nice sound effects. Very Bull Durham. Uh, he is. What? So what's coming your logic? Off, he is, he's yeah, on a stretch of twenty six starts for the Phillies, and he has not gone more than seven. Or he's only gone seven in three of those twenty-six. So, so, so Matt Breen, the expert. Why are the Phillies not contemplating sending Vince Velasquez to the back of the bullpen? Where, when they first acquired him, many thought he would end up at some point. It's actually only more than six innings in in uh, three of those twenty-six, wow. which is even more incredible. And uh, I, I think there's a lot more value in him as a starting pitcher than as a closer or a late inning guy, especially on a team that that's not where your priority is anyway, you know, building up the eighth and ninth inning of a bullpen on a losing team. You need to find out if this guy can stick it in their starting rotation. He has, like I wrote today, he has the stuff to be a front of the line starter. And like Mike had just said that, you know, they have all the time in the world to, you know, this season to really run, keep running them out there. And, you know, see if he can stick. Pete McKenna said that last night that he thinks he's going to, by the end of the year, you know, figure it all out and and be a, a fully developed starter. And if if he can't, then that's a problem you have, you know, next year or the year after when the Phillies are contending again, then maybe Vince Velasquez is the closer or the setup guy. But right now your value as a pitcher is much higher as, you know, throwing seven innings every five days and being a closer. And I think that's what they really need to find find a way for him to do it. Yeah, I wrote this last year. Just look at what Jay Happ signed for before last year, three years and thirty-three million. And then look at what Andrew Miller, probably the best relief pitcher in the game, arguably. Um, look what he signed for. I think it was four years and thirty-six million. So there's a lot more value. And then just just you know, kind of derive it from there. Vince Velasquez's best value is as a starter, whether it's for the Phillies uh, or whether it's on the trade market. So they're, they've got every incentive to get this guy going. Now, Mike, you wrote about Vince Velasquez last week. I did. What do you see as the problem? You and Matt Breen discuss this. Um, what do I see as the problem? I see as a guy. I see a guy who, whether he's overthinking at times or is uh, allowing Cameron Rupp to kind of overthink for him. Um, You know, I I see a guy who I would like to see challenge more hitters. Um, I see him nibbling with stuff that he doesn't need to nibble with. I go back to the home run he allowed last week uh, in the home opener against Bryce Harper. Uh, I never got a clear answer. It was a 3-2 changeup that did not go where it was supposed to go. And on the previous pitch, he had thrown a 94-mile-an-hour fastball that Harper had been a little bit late on and fouled back. And I got the sense just from watching that sequence and then asking about it afterwards that they kind of felt like, well, I don't want to throw Harper another fastball, so I'm going to throw a lesser pitch to him to try to get him out. And the lesser pitch got hit 375 feet over the right field wall. Um, the, the guy's got a good enough fastball that you know he should he can challenge hitters like that and he doesn't have to strike everybody out and he can he can just rely on that a little bit more I mean Matt you tell me am I am I off with that no I, I think you're totally right and that's part of the you know the problem is that he's trying to develop these secondary pitches the change up and the curveball and might at times just get away from how 
powerful his fastball is. Like last night, he had Conforto in the third inning down 0-2, and he even admitted afterwards the sequence afterwards was just he got away from what he does best. He didn't just challenge Conforto; he tried to get cute. And uh, next thing you know, Conforto hits a homer, and you know, star pretty much went down from there. And I think if he just goes after his hitters, attacks them, you know, it, being this pitcher is tough. It's all mental. It's yeah, it's so, so much strategy that you don't think about, you know, when we're just watching it and the pitch sequence and all that. And, you know, one, just like, you know, a weak changeup to Bryce Harper instead of just going after what you're you know, using your best pitches. And there, there it is. That the whole his whole start, his first start, the season went down right from the Harper home run. Yeah, and and you read the quotes afterwards, and you guys, you two guys, might know this better than me from maybe talking to him more. Certainly, Matt. Um, I mean, he wears this after a game. Like you read his quotes and hear him talk, and he, you know, he talks about letting his teammates down, letting his team down, um, and that plays into that. It seems to me just this idea of like I'm trying to be too perfect and too fine, um, instead of just saying, you know, I throw 95, man, come get it. You know, if you can hit it, great. And if not, so, you know, you know, if not, I'm going to win the battle. I I have no doubt that that's part, a segment of his problem. But, I mean, last night at least, his problem was he just could not hit his spots with that fastball. I mean, they were throwing it. I mean, Cameron Rupp was getting yanked all over the plate. I mean, he was setting up inside, but, but Vince's fastball was just running away from him. Um, like, yeah, I think that, I think he he just needs command right now. He needs to command the strike zone right now. Um and I think that's always been his problem. I mean, maybe that's a that has his men, maybe that has some mentality mm-hmm. issues at its root. But again, you know, he was using his fastball consistently last night and I I'm pretty sure everything that got hit out of the park was a fastball that ran back over the plate. Um uh, not for a lack of Cameron Rupp setting up you know, it was just going where the glove wasn't. What? Or am I making that up, Breen? No, command is. I mean, it all comes down to that. And he he threw a hundred pitches last night in five. But that's a di- that's different from so, nib- that's different from nibbling. I mean, nibbling is when you're scared to throw it in there and you're you know staying off the plate intentionally. I don't think Vince Velasquez was doing anything intentionally last night. Well, that's an issue. Uh, what I mean, do you mean? I, you, he, like, he, I think, I think, Mer- I don't think he was intentionally, you know. I think when his ball happened to go outside, he wasn't intending to throw it there. If you look more often than not, Cameron Rupp was set up inside, uh, you know, particularly the left-handed batters. And the ball's just not going but where the, Velasquez wants it to go. He, I mean, he talked about the pitch sequence after the game and not being, no, I know, you I, know, getting I, away from what he does best. And I'm, I don't I, think he's definitely not scared to throw inside but but I mean, I mean when you say a guy's like nibbling that's what I think I mean it's like last night at least and again I think sequ- sequence is different from nibbling too I mean when I think of nibbling I think of a guy who's just not throwing his fastball over the you know he's 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 scared to pitch inside and he's intentionally staying outside um I don't know I think that's a seg I think I think his pitch sequence is a segment of it, but I think that he just can't command his fa- – he couldn't command his fastball last night. He couldn't put it where he yeah, wanted it. Yeah, and that's going to happen, and that's why you need that – you know, if the fastball is not commandable, you need, you need the uh, – you know, his curveball and his changeup have to be a lot better than they have been in the first two games. Like last year, that, that Padre game, his fastball was electric, but his, his curveball was, you know, awesome as well. 
and that, that's you know that's the one game that you cling to to, to this guy if, if he figures it out that's the Vince Velasquez you're going to get and it's a guy with two complete pitches and then one pitch that could be complete the changeup and that's, I mean the curveball you know if, if that keeps growing and that's why any any talk of him moving to, I I have very little doubt that Vince Velasquez could be a good reliever maybe a great reliever and I I you know, maybe suspect he ends up there one day, but it just makes no sense. You know, all these guys you see, uh, Zach Duke, mm-hmm. Wade Davis, Andrew Miller, they all got as much rope as their teams would right. give them right. out of the starting rotation. They were all at least 26, 27 before they finally went back into the bullpen. You just don't throw a 25-year-old kid with 26-some-odd career starts into the bullpen, you you know, especially since that's not the place that you'd learn how to where you'd learn how to pitch because your your exposure is so limited. Yeah, I mean, I think I, the other part of this too, and you know, I think um, to a certain extent, this is a function of kind of two uh, competing thought processes, which is um, process, pro, pro, yeah, processes. Um, one is the the nature of Philadelphia. And I think maybe a couple other sports towns, but now we treat every single game, whether it's the Phillies, the Sixers, the Flyers, like they're the Eagles. In that, you know, after every game, we're breaking down every single pitch. And Comcast Sports that is that is there with an hour post game show breaking down exactly why this pitcher allowed this home run to this guy in this situation. And it's easy to get lost in the bigger picture. And you do also have the the thinking that the Phillies are trying to employ, and I think that, you know, to a certain extent the Sixers and Flyers are too, which is, you know, yeah, we're trying to win, but we're also building towards something. And while these smaller moments do matter, dwelling on them too much, you're going to lose the sense of perspective that you need to have to actually grow this thing into something really good down the road. And I think... I, I think the pressure, whatever pressure the Phillies might feel, or whatever clamoring there might be out there to say, hey, let's put Vince Velasquez in the bullpen, is born out of that. It's born out of like, well, we see Andrew, it worked for Andrew Miller, and it, and Vince Velasquez isn't pitching well as a starter right now, so why don't we just put him in the bullpen and try that, and maybe everything will be better right now because the Phillies just got swept by the Mets, and they need to fix something. When in fact, like Murph said... Life is meaningless. <laughs> like Murph said... This need you need some time to see exactly what this guy does over a lengthy sample size before you decide. Okay, he's got to be a reliever because he's just never going to figure it out as a starter. All right, we're all on the same page. I think it's more born out of the fact that you know the four sports teams stink, and <laughs> there's that too. Everyone is Biden and bought in the process, and so every night is a, is a peek inside the process, and you're evaluating. What's the future of Vince Velasquez after every start? I don't think it's necessarily, you know, Comcast Sportsnet's fault. I'm not blaming but you know Comcast Sportsnet. Case, it's like, I, what, I what else are we going to talk about today? Let's just bring Comcast. Let's play. Why are you standing up for let's one of our com- competitors? Let's play Com. Let's, well, one of our not, probably one of our biggest advertisers today. Because somebody emailed me today saying uh, about this stupid Forbes article that the Phillies made all this money last year or whatever. And mm-hmm. why are we not? Why are the Phillies not? Spending that money, uh, spending money on the prospect, or I mean, on uh, pitchers and hitters. And I asked the guy, I said, "Who do you want? Yeah. Who, who did you wish they would have signed last year?" I said, "How about you just wait?" What I mean, I and I said, I know it's very hard to sit through 
losing seasons. Trust me. You know, I, I, when I was, you know, a crazy Phillies fan, I would not be enjoying, you know, what's going on right now. But I think you just wait for, uh, you know, you enjoy the prospects, see what happens there, and then wait for it ne- this winter and next year, winter, and see what happens. So basically, you're, gonna an- spend the money. you're angry at an anonymous emailer, and you're going to take it out on me. Is that what this comes down to? I'm not taking it out on you. I'm just saying uh, this is where that's all this it sounded stuff taken. comes from is that because we don't if ten five, six years ago, it would have been talking about you know the Phillies how many games were back in the NL East and all that, but they don't have it anymore. So now we have to discuss about you know should Vince Velasquez go to the bullpen and it's a fair argument, but like you you know you guys said it doesn't make sense and they have right now the patience and the time to you know sit through it and watch them grow and. And then make that decision when they're contending again to see, you know, what's in Velasquez that a year from now. All right. First of all, this fence guy better get there and build one, build a little section of the fence just for you to stay in until you cool out. Okay. You know what? <laughs> he, he should, I'm putting he, a fence up to keep you out. He should definitely not build a fence with any corners because you don't put Breen in a corner. Don't put hell no. Exactly. Uh, first of all, a, a few things. One. It's not necessarily a fair argument. It's just something I needed to write for the paper. Right. <laughs> Let's be there's honest. A big difference. Hit, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. That's right. There's a big difference between a fair argument or a fair question and a David Murphy column and a holy crap, I need something to write. <laughs> Number two, I want you to lose the sass in your voice right now, young man. <laughs> I don't have sass in my voice. I was just. Telling you about I got this morning. Let me just say. And the guy told me the Phillies have been circling the drain since 2008. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> where have you been for 9, 10, and 11? I mean, since then, sure, but not since 2008. I like fired up Matt Breen. Wow. Did you yeah. get so? Did, yeah, was they, it like a. So you're getting a fence. Was it like, did you buy the engagement ring and then get the fence free? Or what? <laughs> yeah. Tell how, me more how, about this fence. How high, the fence how high is the fence going to be, and is the rest of America paying for it? Is Mexico paying for it? Yes. Well, they they have they we told them they're going to pay for it. They haven't agreed for it. Okay. So, okay. So, but they will trust me. No, they will. Are you going to stand over at like Wilson from Home Improvement and dispense yeah. advice to your next door neighbor? <laughs> no, it's just like a white privacy fence. I don't know. Our backyard. Wow, what are you doing big, in but, the backyard? Uh oh. What? No. Just, you burying bodies nice. in the backyard. The, the fence is like an old normal chain link fence, and now it'll be a nice white picket fence. So how much how much are you paying this fence guy? Because I think I could build you a fence for probably cheaper than whatever whatever he's going to get you for. Seriously? Yeah. Give me like, what, I, I would give me a ballpark. Give me a number it. to beat. Give me a number to beat. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll buy the material and I'll give you five hundred bucks. He's he's. We might have to. He's you know, thinking about we, it. We might have to go over some blueprints. All right. Anyway, um, right. I'm going to give you. I'll even help you. Let, let me rattle off some names. Oh, nice. Um, we'll get Sealski to whitewash it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you some names and tell me who you are most encouraged by here in the early going. Cesar Hernandez, uh, Adrubal, Howie Kendrick, Brock Stasi. Uh, Adrubal. Really? Yeah, for sure. And he's having a great year. And then it's like, you know, he just signed the contract in the winter. So people were thinking, you know, is he going to be complacent because he just signed this big contract? Not big contract, but you know, actual contract, and uh, he looks great. He looks like if I had to guess who's going to be the all star again, it's probably going to be him. Well, you're really going out on a limb there. Well, I just 
Hey man, he's got fencing. Alex Kendrick leads the team in batting average. He does. I, I think Cesar's had a Cesar might be uh, for real for Rizzle, yo. I think he might never attempt another steal again, but <laughs> yeah, terrified uh, on the base He could be a bench player. I, I don't. I think. I mean, I still think these prospects are gonna. Someone's gonna push him out at second base. Who? Scott. Yeah. Scott Kingery. Valentine. Or or Jesse Valentine. You have two guys. That's all. At double and triple A that are, you know, almost equally ready for the majors. No. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't don't get on that Scott Kingery hype train there, buddy. Scott Scott Kingery Scott Scott Kingery was supposed to be just because Scott Kingery looks like Chase Utley, and everybody desperately wants him to be good. We've already talked about the 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 white man infatuation in Philadelphia, the gritty white man. He is he is Scott Kingery is Kevin Cobb. He we, we did an entire podcast on it, didn't we? We did, but I mean the kid's only a double A, and already you've got him as being an NFL you know, first the equivalent all, first of, all, a, of an NFL all, bust as a quarterback. First of all, the kid is not a kid. He's twenty three years old. Uh he was supposed to be major league ready coming out of college. He was? Yeah. That was the whole the whole thing when, when Scott not major league ready. When Scott Kingery got drafted, the whole thing was this guy could be the first person to make the majors. No, he had an advanced stat, is what they said. But well, well I mean, guess no what? His adva- major league ready. But I mean the, the the word he was a lot like Andrew Knapp, where he was supposed to be a fat he was like, Oh, this guy's a fast riser, he could be helping the team by late next summer. Andrew Knapp is a fast riser. Um, there was two. There was two catchers from that draft. Nine, Gell told me this yesterday before the game. Ninety-nine catchers were drafted in that year, and only two are in the majors, and Mavs one of them. All so, I'm I saying mean, is, what is catcher? He moved pretty fast. What has Scott Kingery done other than grow a mustache and look like Chase Utley if you squint in the minor leagues that is, that, a, that would suggest had to a you? Great spring. Had a great spring. Oh, had a, had a good, you know who else had a great he spring? Had a great f- f- Gus from the uh, season last year in Clearwater. Course. And then you know was exhausted by the time he got to Double A. I'm just and saying then, you, you said so, you said he's equally major league ready as Cesar Hernandez. Who no as, no as, no yes yeah, yeah, you said Valentine or both. As, uh, like, you Valentine Kingery at Triple A right now. Okay, but, but Valentine's at Triple A. But well, I don't understand why you think that they have any more shot of being an everyday second baseman than than uh, Cesar Hernandez. I think you've seen what Cesar Hernandez is. I, I think he's an average major league player and. I have a lot more faith I think that's than one a, of these two guys. Really? You that. think these guys are above average bats at second base in the major leagues? You know how much that's worth? That's a very good prospect, my 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 friend. I, I think one of the two of them is going to have a solid ma- major league career. That's. But you gotta, just, you're just I, throwing I out abstract your, terms. Your second base and shortstop are not in the majors right now. But yeah, I just think that Scott, that Scott Kingery loves a little... Little over, little overboard right. right now here in well, Philly. Well, we'll see. I mean, I hear How people talking about, about talking about him on have WIP. You, have you talked? Have you talked to him or seen him play before? What's that? Yeah, I haven't talked to him. I don't. What, okay. I mean, does he get does he get runs for talking? No, I'm just I'm just curious. Have you talked to Chase Daniel? Great talker. I don't I don't I don't know anything about. Chase Had a very good story. Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Cobb was the best practice player in Philadelphia sports history, son. And he went fishing with for media sure. people. Um, all I'm saying is Cesar Hernandez, and this is a guy who did not believe in Cesar Hernandez uh, right up until he started hitting well last year. But he, he, in 155 major league games in the summer time, he posted a 371 on base percentage last year, and right now is off to a start in which he's hitting 308 with a 357 OBP, and my friend 
is showing a little bit of that gap power that we've always suspected could be lurking in that there bat of his. He's got four extra base hits in 42 plate appearances. Uh, I bet you that Scott Kingery does not even have that at double A. Well, it's a good sample size. Good, good long sample size. Yeah. I'm, just lo- I'm just looking for things to argue. Nice I'm just looking for things to argue about. So you, you threw Scott Kingery. I'm just a little tired of Scott Kingery. I love Scott. Kingery. <laughs> well, you know what? I, 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 I can't. I'm wait. sure the Kingery clan is a I, big I, podcast. Check Scott Kingery stats every day, and I hope this guy freaking tears it up. Because if he once you, you and the rest major, of I'm sending you a Scott Kingery jersey. When Scott Kingery now, having said all this, and and somebody who thinks Kingery can be pretty good. Let's well, first of all, why do you think Scott Kingery can be pretty good? Have you seen him play? Because he wrote an awesome column about. Yeah, it. you wrote a good column about it. Yeah, but. I mean, I I watched him for a week at 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 spring training. It and all took you as a needed. week, man. Yeah. We should they should hire you. They should. Scott yeah. Ruben Amaro watched the team for six years. And he, <laughs> <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. There will be a parade. Let's face it. There will be a parade in like Mayfair or Kensington if if Kingery makes the majors. I mean, I don't know anybody wants to go to a parade in Kensington. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to get Saravalli on the phone here to talk pucks. All right, well oh, now that we've bad. got now that now that uh, now that I've pissed off the entire entire Kingery yeah. nation. Yeah, exactly. I lo- hey, I'm sure the guy's <laughs> good. It's more about his uh, his groundswell of support. Yeah. for no. Your beef reason. is not with Scott Kingery. It's with those who love Scott Kingery. Yes, it's with you too. He's an honorary son of the far northeast. He That's is right. He is. He 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 will drinks drinks are free at the FOP honorary for alumnus Fr- of Father Judge High School. All right, yeah. Breen. <laughs> I'm, we got it all taken care of. Thanks for solving the world's problems. Right. Uh, are you going to the game today? Sounds good. No, they're off today, so there's no game. Yeah. Today. I was just te- I was just testing. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Thanks, Matt. I'm going to Reading next week, though, so I will tell you. Guys you you should have gotten hazard pay for this interview. Tell him I said hi. Exactly. All, all right. right. Always See. good talking to you guys. All right. And now let's go to Montreal, and our buddy Frank Saravalli, making it big time. Frankie, what's up? What's going on, guys? What is your official title, NHL Insider? My Guru? official title is Senior Hockey Reporter. Senior Hockey Reporter. What, what does it take to achieve insider status? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. To be on the panel with uh, Bob McKenzie, Pierre Lebrun, and Darren Dreger. Those guys. That is classified as an in- insider. So for, for those who don't know, those three guys are like the Adam Schefter, Jay Glazer, and Peter King of the NHL. Basically, exactly. So instead of instead of listening to uh, Striper in their bedroom, they listen to uh, <laughs> Brian Adams. No, yeah, Warrant, right? <laughs> what was that? What did John Clay? What was John Clayton listening to in that that? Uh, oh, that the the Sports Center commercial. I forget. Uh, anyway, Frank Valley, This is the Sporting Network, correct? The Sports Network or the Sporting Network? The Sports Network. Well, yes, the, PSN. The Sporting Network sounds more Canadian to me. Uh, first mm. question. Every time you say Pierre LeBron's name, do you go ha 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 after you say it? <laughs> I do not. I feel like that might get me punched in Montreal. <laughs> Just maybe. <laughs> so, who's playing hockey in Montreal? The Montreal Canadiens and the New York, New Rangers, York Rangers are this first round matchup, and it's kind of a big playoff run all over Canada in the sense that there's five Canadian teams that made it this year out of seven in five different first-round series. So lots happening here uh, in these few weeks. Frank is a former Daily News intern. And former Daily News staff writer. And then he moved on to... <laughs> this is true. To a, to, it was a, it's been a rapid rise for young Frank. Frank, when were you the intern? What year? Was that 08 or 09? It was 08, 09. I covered the... 
I remember covering the 09 World Series yes. with you. Yes. That was actually my first year on the Flyers beat, and I took a few days off the Flyers beat and did part of that World Series coverage with you as the 10th man on the team. Yes, you did, eh? Um, I did. We're going to talk about the Flyers because that's your specialty. You covered the team for four years? I covered the team for six years. Six years? Felt like four. Six. <laughs> yes. It did fly by. Um, and you were you, you kicked a bunch of butt, and then you got hired to be Adam Schefter of Canada. That's right. And we're all very proud of you. Everybody's proud. Holy and Ghost you, is proud. And you still live in Philadelphia, which I still don't really understand. But I do, yeah. And you, you're the proud father of two children. Yep. All right. So Anyway, what's up with the Flyers? Y- Where do you think they're at right now? Yeah. Like, set it up for someone... Who wouldn't? Who has not exactly followed the team for a long time? Well, I think they're a team that took a giant step backward this year. Um, I think there were a lot of things, interesting things that happened along the way. Um, I thought there were a lot of curious decisions in terms of player deployment and choice, uh, lineup decisions made by Dave Haxel. I think there were. I thought Mike had a really interesting column today looking at Sean Couturier and I kind of have really mixed feelings about him and where he's at in terms of his career. Uh, I think Shane Gostisbehere um, had a better second half, but really struggled quite obviously in the first half. Um, Cole Giroux, you know, didn't have the season that he wanted, wasn't anywhere close to what we all expect from him. And, I think when you size up the Flyers as a whole in terms of where they've been and where they're going, their their defense has improved dramatically in terms of what they have and what they have on the way. My biggest concern from 10,000 feet looking at the Flyers is that once they finally figure out their defense and if they can maybe get a goaltender, that they'll be at the point where the guys that they have up front, starting with Giroux and Voracek and others, will be – on the wrong side of, of 30 and on the back nine of their careers when it's supposed to kind of all come together at once. And I just don't see, you know, other aside from maybe Travis Konechny, who the Flyers have or can point to in the, for, in the future that are going to get them goals. Yeah, it's funny, Frank. I, I wrote this. I agree with you completely, and I wrote that after they lost to the Penguins back at the end of February in that outdoor game at Heinz Field. Mm-hmm. Um and that, to me, is why Couturier is such an interesting player. You know, they had seemed, in a way, I'm, I'm a little more sanguine about what happened this year from the standpoint that I felt like they had to kind of give this year to find out, okay, what do we really have in a guy like Couturier? What do we really have in a guy like Braden Shen? Um, you know, I hear you on some of the lineup decisions that, that Hackstall made. Um, but now at this point, to me, Couturier becomes a very interesting player because of his salary. He is the kind of guy who you can move if you were inclined to move him um, and and maybe do something, get closer to balancing that roster in the way you're talking about. Because you can't move Giroux. He's got a no-move clause. And, you know, Voracek's making but wh- so much— wh- But, Mike, so so who are you going to— who are you going to get in return for Couturier? Like, no team is trading goals. They're trying to get more scoring, mm-hmm. not— not move it away. So where, like, where are you, like, that's kind of the rub in, in all this too, is like Couturier is right in the middle of that group between, 
Giroux at 28, 29, and Provorov at 20, Couturier at 24, you would think would, would be that guy to help bridge the cap for the future. But I like, I have such mixed feelings on Couturier, and I you hit it, I think, perfectly on the head today with your column saying it's kind of the, the chicken and the egg argument because on the one hand, when he does get more opportunity, like you take a deeper look at some of his offensive numbers. I mean, going back to two years ago, my last season covering the beat, his, his offensive production numbers were actually better uh, on a minute-by-minute basis than Patrice Bergeron mm-hmm. in terms of where he was starting in the zone and where he finished. And you, you look back and you say, okay, well, you know, what happens if they put him in, you know, a, a, a role designed more to score Then you know, with better line mates, what would happen? The issue is, as one, you said in your, in your column, he's been injured and hasn't been able to show that. And two, I think you have some coaches that look at him and say, well, he hasn't earned it either. So, yeah. Where you know where do you start? Well, I think I think you scour around and maybe you know and this people aren't going to like this, but I think you dangle him. It, I'm not saying you dangle him. I'm saying that if you want to align the young defense with younger forwards, then are there is there a prospect or two you know that a team has a franchise that's ready and wants to win now? Would they be willing to give up a forward prospect for him? Hmm. You know, and and yeah, you're pushing the rebuild back again, but you know, you do increase the odds that you get that that lineup alignment that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I it's an interesting idea. I just don't know, like, in some ways, like for as elite as he does play defensively, like when you factor in how much he gets paid, it's not nothing at four point three million, and if he were to somehow get moved and take off it's one of those bargains or could be a bargain but in other ways like you could get a player for a fourth the cost that is not as elite defensively but could be just as diligent and you kind of reappropriate the dollars differently on your Mm -hmm. cap and for a contending team i'd bet that they'd be more willing to do that rather than bring in a guy like couturier at 4.3 million and and play him specifically in that role, if that makes any sense. So wait, let me just make sure what you're, you guys are both saying. Frank, you think there would not necessarily be a market that makes it worth moving Couturier? Couturier? Correct. And Mike, Correct. you think there would? I'm saying you have to explore it. Okay. I'm saying that the, the notion now, they went into this season, I would argue, and Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, they went into this season saying, we project Sean Couturier to be part of this core for years to come. And we hope that he's going to, the, the, the hope is he's going to take a major step forward this year. Uh, depending Correct. On how, and it, then they finish the year by bringing in Valtteri Filpula. Right. In a deal that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. And all of a sudden he comes in and the conundrum that they now find themselves in is that Couturier's numbers took off when you put him in the third line role instead of the second. Right. So the question then becomes, okay, now what? Like, if he's not, if he can't be a second line center for us, do we keep him on the third line? What do we do with him now? And that's the issue. I think they felt like, I think part of that, Frank and I have, have different spins on the Philpola deal. I, I think part of it was they just looked at it and said, we need somebody else at center. We don't think Couturier is a second line center and we'll deal with, you know, a bad contract for a year. Um, 
so that Couturier oh, is on a third line kind of guy, becomes a third line kind of guy. Uh, and that part makes sense, but I, like, what I don't understand about the trade is that essentially they could have just moved Mark Strike to Pittsburgh and got a fourth round pick for him. When it's all said and done, like you look at at Strike going to Tampa mm-hmm. for a couple hours, almost it seemed like because they didn't want to make the deal with their rival, and. In return, they ended up taking a bad contract in Philpula at five point whatever million for next season. When, if you take a look at the issues that the Lightning have, they could they were going to have to buy Valtteri Philpula out this summer. There's no real way around it. Um, they would have had to buy him out and make him a free agent because they not only have expansion draft considerations to make in terms of protection, and Valtteri Philpula had the no movement clause which would have made them protect him unless he waived it. But they also have to re-sign a number of players that wouldn't have worked or wouldn't be able to work if you have Filipio on your roster. So he was going to be a free agent this summer. I guess in some ways it doesn't really make a huge difference because the Flyers aren't going to have the cap crunch that they once right. did. But they could have gotten him at half price or even less than that if they really wanted him that badly in the summer. And who knows what other options are available then. All right, let's let's get out of the weeds of of the the Flyers for a sec. Um, it just from from as Murph said, you're you're perched like kind of ten thousand feet above. Um, put yourself in a way in Ron Hextall's shoes. Like, what would you be looking to do if anything? Um, do you would you feel like, hey, my hands are tied? Would you? Is there something creative that you would look to do? Um, you know, with the roster. Um, you know, any kind of thoughts that you might have. Well, in some ways, um, I, I would feel like now there's a chance to really kind of get creative for the first time because the first couple years of his tenure were about digging out of bad contracts that they had. And this is the year now with a couple guys expiring. Um, Mason, of course, they died? being one of them most likely – uh, their contracts expiring, I should say, Murph. Um, <laughs> that you find, and Delzato likely moving on, yeah. and Nick Schultz moving on. That you finally have a little bit of flexibility to really go after someone on the market if you wanted to. The problem is that there's so few guys available that not only make sense in terms of this team's rebuild, but are going to cost a ton and it's the the way free agencies worked in hockey it's almost dried up like any player worth re-signing is long locked up by their team beforehand like to see someone like Steven Stamkos almost become available last summer was shocking in some ways he would have been 26 the youngest free agent in NHL history and one of the true elite goal scorers of his generation to potentially hit the market of course he ended up coming to a deal with Tampa in the final couple of days of uh, before free agency, but that was the, the exception to the rule for the last couple of years. So I, I think the number one priority for the Flyers really should be goaltending. I, I, mean, I mean, Mike, stop me if you've heard this before, but until that's solved, like I, I thought the Flyers could have easily been a playoff team this year if they got better goaltending from the start. They were in the bottom five of the league the entire year. Um, and really were stuck in 29th or 30th for the large majority of it. 
because Mason and Neuvers got off to such a tough start. So, yeah, and, and that puzzled the heck out of me because the difference nowadays between a great goalie and a pretty good goalie is so small anymore. I mean, all these guys, if you look at save percentage numbers, if you look at the size of the goalies, you know, if you look at um, teams that have gone, made deep playoff runs, maybe with the exception of the Kings and Jonathan Quick, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily need, look, I mean, the Penguins won last year with Matt Murray and, and Mark andre Fleury. I mean, you know, the Blackhawks have won with three different goalies, two or three different goalies. Um, you know, it, it just, you, I think you're right about the way those two guys played, and it, it's it's like the last thing in a way you would have thought of because the difference between great and not so great is so small that it takes a lot for a goalie to kind of destroy your chances of making the playoffs. Well, part of it, too, is that they they kind of allowed the situation to develop in the sense that Mason could have been that guy. Right. I, I think he's shown in the last few years that he could be that guy that does enough for you to get in and, and win. The issue is from the start of this season, they, they never negotiated or entered into any negotiations for a contract with him. And I think that really threw him off. I think you could see at his um, end of season press conference, how much it bothered him that really there was no, no talks at all. Yeah. And I think it, he's his, his biggest fault and biggest weakness is that he's mentally fragile at times. He has focus issues on the ice for stretches of time, which he really worked on and they were a lot better uh, toward the end of his tenure with the flyers, but he allows himself to get caught up in, in issues and things that shouldn't matter. And, it, it, I think it rocked him that the Flyers, after playing so well for a number of years, had no interest or displayed no interest in re-signing him, and I think it ate away at his game. And it festered to the point where, ultimately, this team didn't make the playoffs. I mean, if you look at it, uh, Neuwirth was the only chance they had in the first couple months of the season. And then the strange part about it is, once it seemed like things were kind of decided, and it almost seemed like Mason knew that he wasn't coming back when they played signed Neuver, yeah, he played that better. he took off. Yeah. It's weird. It's very weird. Um, so who do you like? Is it, are, are we looking at, um, is this finally the, we have Jonathan Tannenwald, our former producer of the podcast has joined us and he's desperate to get your insight into whether his hometown team, the Capitals is finally going to win a Stanley cup this year. Um, I know the answer to that already. Hello, <laughs> Frank. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Um, so are the cat, is yeah, this the cap what, year? What do you think the answer is? How about that? No. Never. Hmm. I would tend to be on board with that um, until they show otherwise, really. Like, they've had their biggest issue is their own head. And I think, you know, the Maple Leafs are going to present an interesting challenge. And I think they're going to win that series handily. But I think it's a different story when they face the Penguins in round two, if that's the case. The Penguins won game one last night. And it looks like I think they're going to beat the Blue Jackets. I, you know, I don't know. The Caps on paper are certainly the better team. Their lineup, there are no holes from goaltending on out. Their their defense is six deep, and they have some of the most elite scorers in the game. The issue is, I think it's all mental. Well, I think that's. I look at I look at the moves they'd made Shattenkirk and Oshie in particular. This is the time of year when they have to, you know be the kinds of players who win you a Stanley Cup. And 
Go ahead. I feel like that's why they the got The problem it. is they all they all know that. They have if I'm not if I'm not mistaken 11 guys whose contract expire at the end of the year. Alex Ovechkin is um has never made it past the second round. They know all of these things. Um and that kind of just ratchets up the temperature already from the start without even the puck being dropped. So let me ask you this. If and I think Flyers fans would certainly have a vested interest in this question. In which case is Ovechkin more likely to walk and go back to Russia so that he can play in the Olympics in 2018? If they win it all or if they go out in the first round or the second round? Um, I think the answer is C, that there is no chance that he walks at all. <laughs> really? Interesting. I, f- I find that interesting. Yeah. That's what I told him earlier this morning, Frank. He didn't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any ch- I don't even think the Russian Federation is going to invite him to play because I think they're going to be in lockstep with the NHL. Wow. I find that fascinating. Yeah, but what happens when yeah. Putin gets involved? Then what? <laughs> well, then I don't know. I mean, who knows if he'll be playing at all. So Are what's you? Montreal like as a city? Oh, I actually fabulous. have not been there. I have bits fabulous. No, he's not asking you, Frank. I'm, a- I'm actually asking that in Montreal. <laughs> it doesn't really get much better in terms of a hockey environment. I know, Mike, you've covered a few games there. I mean, it's it's really kind of like the mecca of, of hockey, like, the the building last night is like it kind of like raises the hair on the back of your neck like just watching like the pregame ceremony and and the pomp and circumstance that come with like kind of this rite of spring in Montreal like you think of warm temperatures and the city warming up you think of the Canadians playing hockey and that's it's it's a really it's just a unique different environment like especially with everything in two languages and I think you guys will appreciate this from a reporter perspective. So I'm covering the Habs for the, you know, for this entire first round series and the press conferences are in both languages. So it flips back and forth. Like one question's in English, the next one's in French. Like, you know, you could go on a run of like three different questions in French and I understand absolutely none of it. So the whole time as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm constantly checking Twitter to see what the French reporters are tweeting because <laughs> I'm so afraid that I'm missing something important or newsworthy that it's like, it's a bizarre situation for me, like not knowing what the heck's happening. And like, I'm always panicked, like, especially in scrums too. Like I have no idea what anyone's saying. So I, I just rely on everyone else to kind of let me know if something happens, which the, is not really the way it should be when you're a reporter. Well, that's what leads to the question I want to ask. There's a there's a there's been this debate, not even it really a debate in among reporters who cover baseball about the need for um, reporters who are from the United States to learn how to speak Spanish so that they can better cover mm-hmm. you know the players and managers and coaches involved in the game. Um, have you ever thought about learning French? I would like literally just said an hour ago, like I would love to learn, but the difficulty is the older you get, like the harder it is. Like the ideal time to learn is when you're a kid. So like trying to pick it up now, you know, as I'm, you know, closing in on 30, it's like almost impossible. Like I don't even know where to start. I guess I could do like Rosetta stone or something, but the other part of it is that there's so much slang and things that you wouldn't like learn on a tape or learn on a disc or in a class that the only way to do that is by conversing. But like, you'd be, I'd be so afraid to even converse to like say the wrong thing that, you know, I, I don't even know that I'd want to go down that road. I would feel funny. So 
it would like exponentially help me do my job when I'm covering this team. But the other part of it too, is like, there's 29 other teams where you don't have this issue. So like, do you, as a reporter, do I drill down on trying to learn it when such a small, relatively small population of the league? I know there's French players on almost every team, but does it make sense to go ahead and do that and devote the resources to it just to try and understand? Cause I'll never be able to, you know, lead the conversation. But, but do the, do the coaches and players speak French or is it just the reporters asking like how many how many French well, forced to in in Montreal? Okay, Murph, they don't they've never hired they've only hired one coach that doesn't speak French in their history, yeah. and he was fired quickly because he didn't speak French and couldn't <laughs> relate to the French market. That sounds very French. So actually, there are some. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's the it's the requirement. Like they don't look at coaches that don't speak French. Do the players so the whole speak French? Conference, the coach is answering in French, and you're like, "What the heck's happening here?" Like, am am I missing something? <laughs> <laughs> not all the players do and they some of them get criticized for it yeah it was part of the reason um it was always attributed whether it was true or not that eric lindros didn't want to play for the quebec nordiques was that um there was such a french heavy you know quebec city is yeah. you know very similar to montreal if not even more pronounced in that regard and so. for, for all pk Subban yeah, did for the Habs, which Frank. Is, it's it's fine in terms of narrative goes but if i'm not mistaken he married a french-speaking woman yeah exactly and his <laughs> exactly. son's name his son's name is carl pierre so um <laughs> It's yeah, I I think there's nothing to that. I think the the issue was he didn't like the owner right, in Quebec. Right. No, I know. It's just it was an easy like I said, it was an easy thing to attribute to. What per, what percentage of their players are French? French speaking. Uh the French Canadians, speaking. believe it or not, uh actually have a bunch of Americans on their roster. At one point they had way more Americans than the Flyers, which is funny to think. Um but yeah, there's I th- I think there's a handful, maybe like four. And the thing is a lot of the guys that have been here for a while it's funny have like picked up some French, like they won't Uh converse in French with reporters, but in their day to day, like going to the grocery store, like they understand enough French to to have a conversation. Frank, take the listeners inside what it's like to be in that press box scale wise and just how many more people it is than everywhere else, except maybe Toronto. Yeah. It's really unlike anything else in hockey. I mean, Murph would probably laugh like covering world series and, and whatever else like, there's a sizable contingent like that press box seats like i think uh 200 people and it basically you go up to the eighth floor of the building and then you walk down this ramp which leads you out onto a gondola that hangs over the crowd and over the ice so like when you're sitting in your seat watching the game you're at and you if you look straight down you're pretty much like right over the bench where the players are sitting which is like a really strange way to watch the game if you've never done it before. But when like you have like really the best view possible, like there are no real bad seats in the press box because it wraps all the way around the ice surface. So it's, and the environment in that building, it's the biggest arena in the league, almost 22,000 people. And it's just so incredibly loud from start to finish. Like my favorite part about watching games in Montreal is that, everyone is so into every little detail of the game. Like the conversations that you have in terms of like with other reporters and fans, like they pick up on so many nuances and little details that become really big things that otherwise, like you'd be like, why are we even talking about this in another market? But here it's like such a big deal. Like everything is dissected and broken down, not unlike the way an Eagle Sunday is, but they do it 
82 times a year plus playoffs. So you're, it sounds like you're picking the Penguins in the East. Who do you have coming out of the West? I like Chicago. Uh, they've been there before, obviously, and done it, and they were so good this season. Uh, their best regular season since 2010 when they beat the Flyers in that cup final. Um, the funny thing about the West is that it's a real toss-up. I mean, there, it's also entirely possible that the Blackhawks could lose in the first round. Uh, no one has picked Nashville in that series, but those teams are so much closer than people realize. Um, I mean, you could say that really about every first-round series in the West. I can't remember a time that it's been really this wide open. Who are the other conference finalists? Uh, I'm going to go Chicago, Anaheim, and I'm going to go Montreal, uh, Pittsburgh. Even You don't think last night was going to hurt too much? No, I think they're going to find a way to score. That's their issue. Obviously, they were shut out last night in game one. Montreal was. Um, I think they're going to find a way to get to Lundqvist. I think their their team is better top to bottom by just a, a, a hair. It's going to be really evenly matched. But a lot of things broke right for for the Rangers last night. That goal that they scored on Price. I mean, if you gave Tanner Glass that puck in the same situation a thousand times, you would miss it miss the net probably 940 of them and price would save the other 60 all right well frank's got to go cover yep. some hockey we got to let him go enjoy the hot dogs enjoy in the press it, box man. thank you yeah that's the other best part that we didn't even get to we'll we'll, we'll save that for next time you, you'll be in studio next time you yeah get a long off season yes sounds good all, all right, right buddy i'll talk to you holy ghost forever all right thanks good All right. Well, I think that that does it for that our... does our hockey quota for the year. Yeah, for I... you. <laughs> it's a great nap. <laughs> Frank's really good. What, Frank, um... is, Frank is really good, and and we never talk about hockey on the podcast, so it was nice to do that for once. Was it? I liked it. I lo- I'm I'm always up it. for you. Know that. I'm 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 all about the listeners. Yeah, I, I love me some hockey talk. Um, no, you don't. No, you don't. No. Um, what else did we miss this week? That's a good question. Um, so here's a question. I don't think I've talked to you since the Eagles traded for Timmy Jernigan. Yes. Another one of those moves that we, we've we been... Yeah, I, mean, I can't really... I mean, like, I think it's... So here's the thing. I think that... I don't know. I don't know what I think. I think it's weird that the Ravens are the one making that move instead yes. of the Eagles. It's yeah. just... it's They know something. No, it's not, it's, it's not that. It's that the Ravens are closer, theoretically, right. to contention. You right. know, I mean... we. You've got one team that, that was that's saying, you've got one team that's been in the playoffs pretty much for the last decade and was there last year. Right? Oh no, no, they didn't go last. They year. didn't go last year. But you've got a team that expects to be to in going, the playoffs. Yeah. They're not talking about rebuilding. Put right. it that way. And then you've got a team that has been like actively talking about, you know, looking for the future and building for the future. And like, look, we've said this a million times. That's there's only a, so much you can do that in football. There's only a certain extent yeah. to which you can do that in football. But Again, you've got, you know, this was an uh, an open and efficient market, and you had two teams making a decision that this player was worth, you know, it was worth getting 25 extra slots, and yeah. the other team said it was worth giving up 25 extra slots for this player, and the Eagles were the one that got the player, and the player is, the, the whole reason the Ravens were getting rid of him was because he's they can't re-sign him, and he's going to hit free agency. I just I, don't necessarily, I mean, the, the stakes are relatively low, but it, it kind of, I can't. You can only do this so much. 
if you're the like to me that's what I, yeah you can only do this so many times where you get a guy for a year at a relatively important position like defensive tackle or wide receiver without Sean Jeffrey before you start to say to yourselves okay how much building are you really doing and how much playing for this year are you doing mm-hmm. and you know as we've discussed ad nauseum if if the Jeffrey and Jernigan moves work out like what defines them working out like if these guys play well and are all pros then you're going to have to re-sign them, presumably, to you know big-time dollars. And then you gain less flexibility, and you're paying above market for guys who may not match those numbers ever again. Okay, and if they don't work out and you don't, they don't play well enough that you would re-sign them, then you've got to start over again at those positions. I, I, I'm not seeing what they're trying to do here. Yeah, it just seems like a lot of wishful thinking to me, and, and I think that's why— it- so many fans are on board with it because it's like as a fan you can afford to be you know sure irrational like of course it's going to be fun to <laughs> yeah root for alshon jeffrey and timmy jernigan but like timmy yeah i just wanted but, to do that sorry yeah well thank you Jern- jernigan coming in before bo allen got hurt yes right yeah and now might actually have to yeah, i mean bo allen is bo, like, bo allen was just a guy just a guy you know and like look timmy jernigan is a nice player and i, I understand the upside but like it's just like you said. No matter what happens, you know, unless they sign him to an extension right now, which maybe they will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, there's only so many assets. You can't keep on giving up flexibility and assets if you're in a place where you're already behind the eight ball. And it's it seems like they always acknowledge that, but then they go out and do the exact opposite yeah. of it, which is it's just interesting to me. Like because I, making moves is catnip. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, part of it's that. I I don't know. I really can't necessarily. I really can't figure it out. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know. I think I think part of it is they want to win the offseason. I think there is an element of that to it. Um, I think part of it is Howie's natural way of doing things. He doesn't like not making moves. Um, I, I just, from a, from a long-term perspective, for all this talk about we're building for the long-term, we're building for the long-term, Yeah, I don't know. I'm not seeing it yet. Maybe the draft will, will demystify us in that regard. But it won't. But I, the draft never demystifies. No. I mean, it, no. Like that's the thing about the draft. It, it's, you know, you're luck. You're, you're, you're just hoping to get one guy who, who stays here for ten years out of every draft. You know, like the good. That's what the good teams do. Um, you know, and then obviously three or four players with some utility. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting because look, I don't know that this team. This is the way I look at it. I don't think this team can possibly win anything with their cornerback situation the way that it is like i just think that's if i think you can make i think you can make up for having you know mm-hmm. if you have a good offensive line good quarterback play and decent running game you don't necessarily need great wide receivers or good even good wide receivers right um there's not a lot of positions ex- except for like the offensive line and the cor- and cornerback where i mean if you have a if you have a guy just just can't stop somebody it can destroy the entire team and yeah. i think we've seen that the last couple of years where like I don't know. I can't tell if it's that they like overvalue Jalen Mills or is it they undervalue how important cornerback is or they like really, really think they can get two starters out of this year's draft or I, I don't know. That's what I'm having tr- difficulty understanding. Yeah. I or mean, maybe I'm looking for logic where there is none. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. I mean, that if 1999 and 2001-2 is the model, well, you drafted, you got cornerbacks in the draft, but you allowed them to marinate for a couple of years before you also had three all pros on your team at yeah the time. before they moved into the starting lineup so that by the time Sheldon Brown and Lito Shepard were starting every week regularly it was their job 
Um, they were not filling in for Bobby Taylor or Trey Vincent. They had two or three years under their belt, and you're not going to have that, it looks like, this year. Just not. Well, we'll figure it out. Um, the draft is what? I know the roads are always— two weeks. You would think that the April Super Bowl— April 27th to You 29. would think that the Super Bowl's in town. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Yep, and they're shutting down schools so they can do it. Wait, what? There's a a school that is over by the parkway has announced it's going to be closed for a few days because nobody's going to be able to get there. Yeah. Well, I just that's the draft. Yeah. It's going to look really cool. I mean, I see that. You hope. I mean, <laughs> I'm not so know. sure about that. I'm not Why? a draft guy in any regard. I mean, like the, I'm just saying, like the visual is going to be cool, like the way they're setting it up to like be on oh, the yeah. Yeah. steps there. But I just. Yeah. It's uh. You gotta you gotta hope it doesn't rain, and you gotta hope you you figure they've walled off you know everything they can possibly wall off, then you gotta hope it doesn't rain because you're gonna have. But I mean, who's hoping? It's not like this is like a complete infomercial. Well, oh, I think the, the NFL. television like, networks are hoping it doesn't rain. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying is it's not like it doesn't really impact Philadelphia. I mean, do you know a lot of people? Do you think a lot of people from Philadelphia are gonna be there? I mean, I, I do. Yes. How many? I don't I'm know one. I don't know one. Crowds, per, I have not heard that someone say. Oh, dude, can't wait for. To, I'm can't not wait sure to go to you draft. know the people who are going. No, no. I don't know anybody who's going. <laughs> I don't. Not wait, even do you? I'm going to cover it, and I'm going to be at the Novacare. I'm not going to be. I, that's there. what I'm saying. Is the draft is a completely like it's a television event. Like, yeah, like, it's. But and, I, and the, I think I think the fans. I think some number of fans will go. I think there will. I mean, look, I'm involved in our, you know, the website sort of planning of coverage. I'm going to be in the office all, at least two of the three nights. Handling the live, yeah, but nobody's coming to the office. Yeah, but no, <laughs> but, but, but like nobody stories, in Philadelphia cares that the draft is in Philadelphia. The stories, they care that what the Eagles do. The stories that we're watching for are who do the Eagles draft? What are the logistics going to be? What's the weather going to be? And how many Eagles and Giants fans are going to get in fights with each other on the Parkway? Yeah, but none of that answers the question of how many people are actually going to go. <laughs> like, how and many? I mean, they have to plan for a large number. How many actually show up? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just it's like. Like I, I said, I live in Fairmount. Ways to spend my time. Oh sure, day. yeah, I, but I think people will go. Yeah, I yeah. just think it's a big. I think it's, it's the visual is going to be great for the NFL. You know, you might as well have it in a big, big market. Um, yeah, but again, like it's anybody who's a real football fan is going to be at their computer looking at what the Eagles are right. doing instead of sitting on the Parkway like drinking beer, cheering and, for yeah. Mitch Trubisky. But I, I, you know. <laughs> what? What, Jonathan? What? I think Easy. about the numbers of people who go to Live 8, and I figure that some number of people are going to show up. Live 8? Live, Live 8, that's music. Live eight, sorry. Live 8. That's music. You know, you're not watching. Like, if, if made the band, in, not even Live 8, sorry, Made in America. If the band only walked up on the stage and didn't play anything, that would be the equivalent but of the draft. But, but people... <laughs> But people want to be there just to be there, and it's, it is irrational, I don't but think people you know want people. to be there just to be there. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I am going to say this. I think it's stupid. I think it's stupid too, but they pay our salaries. Yeah. Until next week, gentlemen. Later. Later. Like how many I was serious, like how many how many people And I just I completely dated myself by saying